Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, if you are just joining us, we have been in a series since, oh, I would say February, and we've been going through Moses Unscripted, and we're sharing different stories than we would normally hear about uh, the life of Moses. And often when we hear the, the name Moses, we think he's one of the heroes of the Bible who all of Israel traces back to, to look at as to the example. But what we've been finding is that through his story, we've been finding ourselves in his story as well and finding some similar thoughts and some similar uh, mistakes, some similar successes all along his story. And we'll be continuing on into part four of that series and we'll finish off in the next, in the next few weeks. Well, who likes to camp? Who are our campers in the room? You've got hands way up. You are, like, you are proud. You're sleeping in the dirt. You're, you're happy about those things. Camping, camping, to me, was an evolutionary necessity that we've kind of grown out of. It was, it was kind of, yeah, some people are, people are nodding their heads. You know, people, we don't need to camp any, anymore. I'm not sure why we are still sleeping in the dirt and having being rained upon. And there, there was a time when we hadn't cleared away large areas of forest and brush where we could build homes, and we hadn't figured out how to pave roads and, and create things. People put up shanty homes and tarps and things. They built fi- fires. They slept on the hard ground. But it wasn't a choice. It, it wasn't for fun. It was out of necessity. We've evolved since then, right? We've built homes. We have ultramatic beds with sleep numbers that can cushion. And when the person beside you moves, it doesn't move on your side. You can, listen, you can still go hiking. I love to hike. You can, you can roast a weenie over an open fire in your backyard fire pit. And then you can go into your house and sleep in your bed. So camping to me, it's so unbelievably backwards. And my family's going camping in a few weeks, so you can, t- <laughs> you can tell who runs my household when we're deciding, <laughs> even though we're going camping on our way to the cottage where we have the nice bed. So, so yeah, it's kind of like, like a give and take. <laughs> the Israelites, as we pick up this part of the story, they have been camping and they have been roasting weenies over fires for over a year. And we've been, we're, they're about to lock into actually a 38-year camping trip. And they've been, they've been eating this moist bread called manna. And let's go, let's go over to the, um, to the map for a minute. So if, as we followed them, they were up here in the land of Goshen. That's just outside of Cairo, outside of Egypt, which you, what you would read about in the Bible. And then they came, they left, they came all the way down here. And we, we had where they, um, they came across. And we think, some people think they came all the way down here. A lot of people think that they crossed, um, crossed over in, oh, no, sorry, that they came all the way down here. We, we crossed over into where this is Saudi Arabia, this is where the seas parted, and now they're making their way up, and they're in this place called Kadesh Bamiya, and they're about to spend the next 38 years camped out. They don't know this yet. They've only been a year. They think they're, they're on a quick, uh, quick jog to the promised land, which is up there. You can see Jericho at, at, at the very top, but here's a, an image of a modern day where Kadesh uh, Bamiya is. Go ahead to the next picture, Amanda. This is, this is where they were about to camp, protected in these rocks. Now, how would you like to live there for 38 years? In the, yeah, 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 some people are laughing at it. You're like, like, I don't know that I would want to spend 38 minutes. Maybe 38 minutes and I could, I could see it. I, it would be hot. It would be unprotected. 
and the only food that they had to eat, they're, they're not going to grow anything there, right? This is, this, is not, <laughs> this is not southwestern Ontario where you can get strawberry. I heard somebody, Shelly was saying, she was getting raspberries yesterday, and like we've got all these wonderful fresh things. There are no farmer's markets here. This is a rock in the middle of Saudi Arabia. They're not growing anything, and God miraculously had given them manna, which is like moist bread that he had been providing for them. But after a year of that, they're starting to get pretty discouraged, and they began to lose their patience with the provision that, remember, this is a provision God had given them. What do you do when you lose patience? Complain. That's right, everybody. We, we complain. We Yeah, we get upset. And this morning, we are doing a study on what happens when we complain. So if you are if you're our old school, you've got your notes in front of you. You can fill out a pen and paper. If you're wanting to do on your, on your um, app or your phone, make just or on your smartphone or your device, download the Portico app, and you can fill in the blanks there. But we're going to look at a study on complaining out of the lives of Moses and the Israelites, more of the Israelites here. But focusing on the negative is our first one. It distorts your perspective. Psychologically, the moment that you believe you can't do it, you can't do it. The moment when you say it's not going to happen is the moment you lose the power to do it. Henry Ford said this, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. <laughs> no, matter wh- no matter what mindset you have, that's, that's the outcome that normally comes. Athletes, when they get into a bad mindset, they lose their speed and their power. When they, they, get, they get into a funk and they go, I can't hit the ball and they miss the ball all the time or they're thinking, you know, I'm getting tired, I'm down. They, they, they lose speed, they lose power. Students statistically perform much worse on tests when they believe they're stressed or when they believe that they're not able to do it. It's unbelievable. It's actually a 20% swing on a test when a student feels like they're unable to meet that challenge. They, they typically will score 20% worse. We drop our confidence and we drop our abilities when we begin to think negatively. And it all begins to change with your ability to see the truth around you. I want to read Numbers 11 verses 4 to 6. Here's, here, here's what we read in, the, in that chapter there. The rabble with them, so this, is, this is describing the Israelites, the rabble with them began to crave other food than the manna. And again, the Israelites started wailing and they said, if only we had meat to eat, We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Remember, they were slaves. (laughs) Also, cucumbers and melons. and I'm not sure why they were were groaning for leeks and onions and garlic. That's not actually something I would be... If only I had garlic and onion to eat, that would just... But they were. They were complaining for garlic and onion and spice. They, They wanted to flavor their food. But now we have lost our appetite, and we never see anything but this manna. Now... Remember, this is a year of this, and nobody's going to complain when you're eating soggy bread in the rocks for a year. That is not fun. <laughs> like, I I'm not even sure I want to camp for three days in a provincial park and, and cook the, meat, the food that I'm bringing with me. They had been on a rock for a year eating soggy bread. But when they focused on just the challenge in front of them, they lost all their perspective. They were able to convince themselves that life in Egypt was good. They're, sure, they were sla- sure we were slaves, but we had fish and leeks. It was, it, we were being beaten, and we didn't have our freedom, and we couldn't do what we wanted to do, but we had garlic. Wasn't it, wasn't it a wonderful experience back there when we were getting beaten, and we had garlic? They, they, they were so focused on the challenge in front of them that they missed the perspective 
There is no meat that is worth the price of freedom. Would you, does anybody like Memphis barbecue in town? Like the, yeah, we have some Memphis barbecue fans where you get just, if you've never been to Memphis barbecue, if you're not a meat eater, if you're a vegetarian, please don't even, don't even go near the door. You will be very offended. By, but, and just tune out for a minute. But if you're not, there's, you get like a meat kind of piled on top of meat and then like f- fries on, and it's like $3 for a meal or something like that. And they just keep bringing it to you. It's, it's wonderful, but it's not worth the price of freedom. But see how powerful a force negativity is? We have to watch how quickly we can drop into the pattern of complaining or focusing on the things that we don't have in the lives, in our lives, our, our frustration. Because it has the power to completely block out the reality of our life. And the Israelites were able to go, slavery was better <laughs> than manna. <laughs> if you live in Canada, I will almost guarantee that what you do have outweighs what you don't have. If we, if we live here, I will almost guarantee that in your life, what you have outweighs the things that you don't have. We have freedom. We have wealth beyond most other nations in the world, hundreds of other nations in the world. We have rights that many other nations don't have. We have Tim Hortons on every other corner. And if you don't like that, there's Starbucks. We have things, what we have outweighs what we don't have. More than 99% of the world, we are are the 1%. But because we're human... I will also almost guarantee that there are things in your life that you don't have. For some of us, it may be our health. We go, I have, sure, I have all that stuff, but I don't, I don't have my health, and it, none of it matters to me because I, I don't have my health. Some of us would say, there's this brokenness in my relationship that, that I, I don't have. There's this dissatisfaction with an area of my life, and, and all I can see is this dissatisfaction. All I can see is this health challenge. And these are heavy, life-altering issues that were just as real with the challenge that the Israelites were facing. They were on a rock, eating soggy bread with no end in sight for either one of those things to end. And you and I and the Israelites, we are hardwired to complain about those kinds of things. That's why we all said it. What do we do when we get frustrated? We complain. We're hardwired to do that. And complaining has the power to severely alter your picture of reality. We can paint a picture of our lives and what we go through that is so glim and so hopeless because it's easy for us to see the negative and it's difficult for us to see the blessing sometimes. Numbers 11 and 10, Moses heard all the families standing in their doorways of their tents. They're camping on a rock and they're whining. (laughs) And the Lord became extremely angry and Moses was also very aggravated. Now, I have a rule for life. If I get in the habit of doing anything that would describe as God being angry at me, I want to fix that. If, if I can say I'm doing it and now God is angry, I don't want to be caught up in that. And no one dismisses what we're going through. We, this is real. That's why we want to bring this point. The Israelites were going through something very real, a big challenge. You have something in your life that you can focus on. It is a very real challenge. We don't want to dismiss that. It's not frivolous. It's not unimportant. It's painful. It's hard. The question to reflect upon this morning is, what result does focusing on that kind of negativity bring about in your life? When you focus on the challenge that's in front of you, what result does it bring? And let me ask you this, is that what you want for your life? When you focus on the challenge, your thoughts, your feelings, your experiences, is that what you want for your life? 
the Israelites convinced themselves that literally anything, even abuse, was better than the challenge they were facing, the manna and the rock that they were sleeping on. And when we consistently focus on the negative that is in our life, it unsettles us and we become discontented, which that leads into our second point. Discontentment can lead then to rebellion. Now, rebellion is a very strong word. It makes us think about actively working against, taking up fight against something else. And, and true, that is a function of, of, of the word. But if you've ever parented a teenager, you have probably had the opportunity for them to describe to you who they are to uh, their friends. Where When they're talking to their friends, they would say, my parents are the absolute worst. I was, I was a youth pastor for like 10 years. I, every Friday night, I would hear the horrible things that you have done. I, I youth pastor some of your kids. Yeah, I, I heard all kinds of horrible, the way that you're just the worst parents in, in, in the world, that if they didn't complete their chores, could you believe they weren't allowed to go outside? And, and like, their mo- my mom loses her temper like a monkey gone crazy. And then like all kinds, all kinds of wonderful ways that they would describe you. And now I'm not saying of any of our youth here in Milton, because I'm here, but I would never share that. Davey, I would never share that kind of information. It's, it's in the vault. Yeah, she, she's, not, she's not going to youth anymore. When we hear this as parents and we hear them, them, them talking about us and we hear them, they're not necessarily doing anything. They're just complaining. They're just whining. We go, you ungrateful, backstabbing, betraying little... We feel, we, we feel cheated. We feel like we've been rebelled against as parents, right? If they only knew how much you did for them, how often you ignored the massive amounts of self-centeredness and neglect that is in, that is in their lives, the nerve of those teenagers to rebel like that and talk... Numbers 11 and 18. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If we only had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Lord, you, you gave me this disgusting wet bread and it's not fair. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. Now he's about to, he's about, if you know this story, he's about to enact something on this. God heard the same things we hear as parents when they're talking about us. It had been a solid year of miracles for these people. And the, the manna that they were complaining about was a miracle. They had nothing to eat, and then God brought food out of the sky and provided that for them. But you get far enough into a complaint, and it becomes your reality, and you lose the ability even to maintain faith sometimes. You're so discontented. Has there ever been a circumstance in your life that you've encountered and it has caused you to question your faith in who God is? Because the situation is so bad, we say, God can't even do this. <laughs> he's done all of this. He sent Jesus. He's given you eternal freedom and peace. and He speaks to you and he's there for you. But he can't do this, so he's not God. I wish I could just go back to my own life. We do this because we're focused on something that we necessarily shouldn't be focused on. And it stems from a perspective that, that says, if I serve God, life will go well. And that's just not true. <laughs> Serving God means you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life when you go through hard times. It's not you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life so that you will never go through hard times. It's that when you do in- encounter challenges in this world, Jesus promised that you will have trouble in this world. But take heart, I've overcome the world. It means you are promised a perfect future, but it doesn't mean you're promised the perfect present. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that you have an easier life by having the most faith. We want it to mean that. We, we want it to mean, if I, if I just serve God better, if I sacrifice more, life will get easier. But it doesn't. 
It really does. Sometimes the more you serve, the more difficulty you experience. Sin affects our daily experience. We have a broken world. It's a consequence of sin. And negativity and then this discontent leads us to this incorrect assumption that we can no longer trust God because we're dealing with X, Y, Z, whatever it is that you said is the challenge in your life. You say, I can't trust God because he hasn't dealt with this because we're so focused on it. And if serving God meant you would never struggle, you would never hurt, you would, you would fall so in love with what God does instead of falling in love with who God is. And we don't even want that for ourselves. Was, was there ever that kid in your school that like, would buy all the other kids extra things for lunch and that? Like, they would be like, I'll buy you french fries if you come sit at my table. <laughs> like, I'll pay for you to go to the movie. And, or hopefully you weren't that kid. But <laughs> I'll do, like, and that, that, that leads to emptiness, right? Because we think they only like me when I can buy them something and then they walk away when I can't buy them anything. We, we don't want that. And God doesn't want that. If you remember the story of the rich, the rich young ruler, he had done everything right. He had, he had, he had tithed, he had kept all the laws, and, and, and he had done all the right things. And then Jesus just said, yeah, you've done all the right things, but there's one, only one more thing you have to do. Sell everything that you have. Because <laughs> I don't want you, I, I want you just to love me, not for what I've given you. And he couldn't do it. God created us for relationship, and he wants a true love relationship. And I hope that it goes deeper than the feeling that my life should always work out, or at least work out to the way that I expected it to work. So let me ask you this. What is the proper response when it feels like God has let you down? When when you feel like God has let you down, what is the proper response? Well, we know it's not complaining, (laughs) and we know it's not to become discontented. God God knows our thoughts, though, before we even think think them. That's what it says in Matthew 6 and 8. It's never the thought that catches us. It's not the thought that's wrong. It's what we do with the thought. See, complaining and discontentment puts us into this danger of rebelling, of speaking out, of acting out. They were upset with the manna. They were begging for meat, even if it meant to go back to Egypt. And God goes, you want meat? You acted out on that impulse? All right, I'll give you meat. Let's read this. Numbers 11, 19, and 20. This is a beautiful story. If you've never read this, you, you got to read the Bible. It's full of wonderful things. It says, you will not eat it for just one day or two days or five or 10 or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and you have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? We want meat. Now, at first blush, this seems somewhat spiteful from God. <laughs> Actually, at second blush, it actually seems spiteful from God. It seems like there is a lot of spite layered into the, to that statement. But remember that what they wanted was meat. And what they were about to receive was tons and tons of meat. What they wanted was meat. And God is about to give it to them. Our third point to fill in, just as we're going along here, is that you know God is faithful even in his discipline. There are all kinds of examples within Scripture when God hears the prayers of his people and he responds even when it's not in their best interest. He still hears the prayers of his people. There's a story, a powerful story in the book of Kings. King, King Ezekiah was close to death and he prayed for longer life. It was his time, the Bible says it was his time to go and he prayed for longer life and he reigned for 15 more years. And in those 15 years, he had a son who would become the next king, who was the most wicked king Israel had ever seen and brought the nation far away from God. 
All because Hezekiah said, Lord, would you please extend my life when it was his time? Abraham, remember, he saw, his, he saw Lot and his family in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, some of the most wicked cities that we've ever known, that they could not even find five good people within the city, but, but God was going to destroy it. And Abraham said, God, if there's 50, if there's 25, even if there's 10 good, will you spare the city? And God said, okay, you go find me 10 people. He was willing to maintain this whole group based on 10 people. How faithful is God to us that even in his discipline, he remains faithful to us? 2 Timothy 2 and 13 says, if we were are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for God cannot deny who he is. And God answered their prayer, not exactly as they imagined, <laughs> but he answered their prayer. Numbers eleven thirty-two. So the people went out and caught quail all that day and throughout the night and all the next day too. No one gathered less than 50 bushels of quail and they spread the quail all around the camp to dry. So God answers them in the midst of their complaint. Maybe we should keep reading in verse 33. But while they were gorging themselves on the meat, while it was still in their mouths, the anger of the Lord blazed against the people and he struck them with a severe plague, which we can only imagine could be some kind of like E. coli or something. And that place was called Kibroth Hatava, which means graze of gluttony, because there they buried the people who craved the meat from Egypt. The lesson here is definitely not that God is spiteful and vengeful. That, that's not what we want to take out of this. The lesson is we don't want to get caught in negativity and complaining. God can remain faithful to us because disi- we need discipline. We know this. And God is still in us with the discipline. And the last one is this, is that our peace and contentment, it's found in trusting in God. Too many of us trust our own ability to resolve our personal issues far beyond what we trust in what God can do for us. We already said that God will not make our lives struggle-free. We, we, we know this, that we will struggle. So do you believe these words? 2 Corinthians 12, 19. My grace is all you need. Do you believe that? Do you believe these words? My power works best in weakness. It means that there will be times in life when it feels like God has forgotten us, or it feels like we deserve more. And everything inside us wants to question why, why we don't get more. God, why you didn't deal with this box right here that I've wanted you to deal with over and over. And the only peace, the only true source of peace comes with saying, I don't need God to deal with this box right here because I just trust that he's in control. We sang that song. I trust that what he's already done, I trust that what he's doing, what he might do with this box later, what he might not do with it later, I trust that he's good enough for me. Peace comes from trusting God with what he's already given you. So a reflection question for us today. What's the issue in our lives that we just need to turn over to God in faith today? In faith today, we need to say, Lord, I'm not going to worry about this anymore. I'm not going to be the one that deals with this because you're God and I'm not and I trust you that even though this frustration feels like a lack of meat, it's actually the gift of manna. Say that again. The frustration in your life may not be a lack of meat. It may be the gift of manna that God has given to you in the middle of this desert area, which doesn't feel like provision, but God says, no, I am, I am providing. So don't look at 
the gift that I've given you and say, I wish the gift was better. And some of us need to stop pretending that God hasn't already blessed us with more than we could ever need. And life isn't perfect, but I bet if you took three minutes, you could fill a page with the good things that God has done in your life. I'm going to ask our musicians to come back. And actually, we're going to do that. I just want you to take out your phone or take out a pen just on the back of your notes there or just on your phone. Can you just make a list for a few minutes, for a few, for a few moments? What are the good things, what are the good gifts that God has given you? And w- I chose not to use the word blessing because sometimes the blessing of God doesn't feel like <laughs> a blessing. Sometimes his blessing is a little different than we would imagine. To. But what, what are the good gifts that you can say, the Lord has given me this. And I'm going to choose to focus on what God has given me. So just... Take a few moments, and then we're going to respond in song this morning. Paul wrote in the book of Philippians, and we think that he was in jail as he's writing this. He says, not that I was ever in need, says the man in jail, the man who was going to be arrested. (laughs) But I have learned to be content with whatever I have. And the translation says, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. And the funniest thing about a study like this is that very few of us end up in a place of complaining and discontentment and rebellion. Very few of us ever set out to be there. We set out to be people that want to honor God and people that love God. The Israelites had followed and trusted him. Like they, they painted blood on the doorpost because they trusted him. They followed him up to, they followed Moses right up to the Red Sea. And then they got really nervous when they saw the army coming and nowhere to go. But they, they trusted God. These weren't, horribly remember and we talked last week this was a pattern in their life they, they had gone to the same thought pattern year or month after month after month and they're trying to break it but it's difficult and for a lot of us we would agree yeah it's difficult to break the pattern that I'm that I'm kind of stuck in we get there quite naturally but this morning what we wanted to end with is a is a chance for us to take back control not control that life is going to be perfect but control that I'm going to take control by giving up control. How's that? I'm going to take control back of my thoughts and my life by giving up control and saying, Lord, I'm going to trust that you have something better for me. I'm going to trust that the things that you've given me are indicative of the way that you care for me. And no matter what challenge I face, no matter what's in front of me, I'm going to have the trust to say, Lord, you're going to give me the peace and you're going to, you're, you're going to work this out this morning. Let's Take control by giving up control. Stop worrying about the details and just start. Our focus is on God, not our focus is on what we are challenging, what is challenging in our lives. So this morning we're going to sing that song that we sang a little bit. We're going to sing the bridge and then just in to the chorus. And man, just throw up the words of the bridge there. It just says, I can trust, I will trust in only you. And there's nobody that can add to your perfection. Not me, not a certain situation working out in my life. Nothing adds to that. You're the beginning, you're the end. It's more than I can even comprehend. I don't even understand it, Lord, but, but it's going to work out. There's no one like you. So why don't you stand with us and we're just going to sing this song together. It just says, I will trust in only you. So Lord, this morning we pray and we stand here and we recognize that 
<laughs> Life isn't perfect. So, Lord, I, I ask first for every situation that is represented by somebody here, and that in Jesus' name you would come and you would remove struggle. You would remove sickness in the name of Jesus. You would remove, um, you would heal relationship in the name of Jesus. Lord, you would provide because we look to you as our, as our provider. We trust you, Lord, in the provision and in the times when we don't have. But, God, we ask that you would do it. And, Lord, for the moments that you don't, we still going to trust. Whether you, whether you heal, whether you come through, or whether it, it's delayed, Lord, we are still fully submitted and trusting in you, Jesus. God, I thank you for, I thank you for stories out of people's lives. I thank you for stories out of the Bible that, that show us that you are in control. Show us that we don't need to start looking for a solution that we would fix on our own. But, God, we would continually come back to you and saying, thank you for the good things in my life. Thank you for who you've been in my life, and I believe that you will continue to be in my life. Lord, I ask that you give us peace for the situations that don't look peaceful and help us to live every day coming back to you with the presence of the Holy Spirit in in our lives. So thank you, Jesus, and we ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.